Well, when you think about end times, it can be confusing. You know, I mentioned this last week, that if somebody said, where do you go to find end time events? Well, naturally, everybody says, oh, we go to the book of Revelation. Well, it's true, but you also go to Matthew 24, 25. You go to Zechariah. You go to Isaiah. You go to Ezekiel. You go to First Thessalonians. You go to Second Thessalonians. Uh, did I say Matthew 24, 25? I don't even know if I said that. But you've got all these different places that you go to be able to put together. How, and I left off the most important one, Daniel. The book of Daniel, I mean, those those books are just, you put them all together to get the flow. Now, let me show you what we looked at last week. I think, the, is this the, the, the what we call the premillennial view? And here's, uh, yeah, go ahead to the next slide. Uh, without the little dot thing, let's think about this. This is the flow of end times. The first coming of Jesus Christ coming to the earth. And when we talk about coming to the earth, his first coming and second coming. His first coming, he came, he left the glories of heaven, Galatians 4, 4. In the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman born under law. Jesus Christ came and he was born in Bethlehem. He lived approximately 30 years. At 30 years old, he began his ministry. His ministry was about three, three and a half years. He died on the cross, paid for sin. Of course, that era going up shows his resurrection, his death and his resurrection. He walked on the earth after that 40 days. We find that out from Acts chapter 1, which is what we'll be studying in church this morning. And then he ascended to heaven and began what we call the church age. Happened in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 on the day of Pentecost. We'll talk more about that as as well in the book of Acts. And we're in the church age now. Now, the very next event, now this is the flow of how you interpret, when you interpret the Bible from what we call a historical, literal, grammatical interpretation, meaning that what the passages say, we take those as true passages, we take them as literal passages. When you do that, the very next event will be what we call the rapture. It comes from a Latin word, rapio, which means a snatching away. The Greek word is apostasia, which means departure. We know that Jesus will come in the clouds. It's not to the earth. That's why it's not called a second coming or a third coming. It's a rapture because he, he takes the church off of the face of the earth and will meet the Lord in the air. First Thessalonians four thirteen through 18 is a great passage that talks about that. Sometime after the rapture, there will be a time of tribulation on the earth that's going to last for seven years. We're not sure exactly when it's going to start, but it actually starts when a peace pact, a peace agreement is made between the nation of Israel and a man of sin, which which he's just called a world leader then. We end up calling him the Antichrist. There will be a seven-year time called the tribulation. At the end of that seven years, Jesus Christ will come. Revelation 19.11, he'll come out of the heavens and he'll come to the earth to set up the kingdom. That's called the second coming. First coming, he comes to die. The second coming, he comes to reign. He sets up a kingdom. We call it the millennial kingdom because Revelation chapter 20 tells us it will last for a thousand years. So there'll be a thousand year reign of Christ. We call that premillennial because Jesus comes before the thousand years. We'll talk more about it in a minute. And he rules and reigns for a thousand years. And then there's a rebellion at the end. We'll get more details about that. And I'm going to give you more information about the tribulation as we go through our study. Then after the end of the thousand years, there's a judgment called the great white throne judgment unbelievers are judged and cast into the lake of fire believers will go into what we call the eternal state second peter it's called the eternal kingdom and he makes a new heavens and a new earth and the new jerusalem and we live for all eternity with jesus christ some people say things like what are we going to do for all eternity will we just like be sort of like angels no we're not like angels and uh, what we will do according to revelation is we will serve him forever so it'll be a great time of service. That's the flow of end-time events. Now, the problem with that is that a lot of people or many people do not believe that. They don't see it in that way. And we said that 
as we look at it this morning, we're going to look at two things. Uh, two things. We're going to look at the kingdom, and that's where we're going to spend most of the time. And I'm just going to mention the tribulation. Then next week we'll go through the tribulation. That is, we finish today, and I think we will. Uh, we've not got a lot of th- things to look at. Let's think about this now, as we think about the kingdom. The greatest event in all history is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to the earth. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He rose again. We should never take that for granted. In fact, when we meet together on Sunday mornings. We're meeting together because Jesus rose from the grave on the first day of the week. We're worshiping him on the first day of the week, and we're worshiping a living Savior. When we studied the book of Acts this morning, as we get into our study, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 of chapter 1. We're going to see that he's a living Savior. He showed himself alive by many undisputable truths. As he actually says, by, by all these uh, uh, convincing proofs, and we'll see that. But What was he doing? Because he walked on the earth for 40 days. What was he doing in that 40-day time period? I think the next one, what was he teaching the apostles? What was he teaching them during that 40-day time period? Well, if you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and speaking of the things concerning what? The kingdom of God. And so he was teaching about the kingdom of God. Now, when you think about the kingdom of God, what is this? Think back in the Old Testament. I think I just have the verses right here. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 17. God told David, King David, that his son, his greater son, which would be the son of David, which is the Messiah, would rule on the throne of Israel forever. There's going to come a time called the kingdom in which the greater son of David, which is the Christ, which is the Messiah, that he would come and rule on the throne forever. This could only be the Messiah because all the other sons of David would die and they could not rule on the throne forever. Jesus would come as the king. Jesus would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords and rule. And so there's going to, he says, there will be a time when your son, David, your greater son, will rule on the throne forever. So here's the question. Is this a literal promise? Is it for real? Did he actually mean that there would be the greater son of David to rule on the throne of Israel forever? We would say what? Yes, because we take the Bible literally. Some people say no. And so uh, when we look at this, we're going to give you the different views. I want you to see this so you'll understand it. We're going to look at the kingdom views. And when we talked last week, um, some people don't take the Bible literally, some do. Some people say Israel and the church are the same thing. Some people say us, that Israel and the church are not the same thing. Ever how you look at the Scripture and those things will determine how you view end times. So I want you to see that. Now, here's the plans for our study. We're going to do several things. We're going to look at overview of the end-time events. We're going to see the kingdom, the tribulation. We're going to see all of these different events and how they fit together. Then we're going to actually take some time to look at the 70 weeks of Daniel. And if you don't understand that already, you go, what in the world is 70 weeks of Daniel? God made a promise to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, that he would give the nation of Israel 70 weeks, which actually actually was 490 years. And we'll talk more about that when we get to it. We're going to study that. The third thing we're going to do is talk about standing strong as we wait for the return of Christ. I've got one section that we're going to actually say, okay, while we wait for Jesus Christ, what should we do? be doing okay and we'll look at that and then the last thing is just be able to put together the end times timeline be able to do the flow the thing i just showed you that you'd be able to say jesus died and rose again there's a church there's a rapture there's a tribulation there's the second coming there's the kingdom there's a great white throne judgment there's the eternal state that you could do that 
so that you have an understanding of how things fit together. That's what I want you to be able to do as we do our study. Now, as we mentioned, when we look at end-time events, and, and by the way, as we go through this, you got a question or a comment, just stop me any time. You know, I know it's a big class. When you have a big class, it's hard for people to talk. But we'll stop and we'll talk through anything that you have a question about. But whenever we look at end-time events, we said that there are different views. And the view that I just showed you is actually a minority view because of this. When people look at end-time events or when people look at the Bible, I think the next slide says... It depends on how you interpret Scripture and how you view the relationship of Israel and the church. I want you to understand this. When people say end-time events, they will have a view on end-time events based on how they... Sorry, go back. On how they interpret Scripture and then how they look at the relationship of Israel and the church. Now, we talked about this last week. not going to spend a lot of time on it, but let's talk about how about how to interpret the Scripture. There were actually three ways I brought up to you last week, but the two, two ways that, that everybody does nowadays is what we call spiritualize. They take the prophetic passages. I'm supposed to say prophetic passages, but they take the passages about end times, about the future, and they say that they're not literal that the promises, like a thousand-year reign of Christ, or that David's son's going to sit on the throne, those aren't literal promises. They say they weren't literal. They they just say that one day God's going to do something, but it doesn't literally mean that, that there will be a kingdom on the earth, and it doesn't mean that. So they don't take it literally. Second, we take it literally, and we say what what, what they mean, and, and we understand figures of speech, speech, but we take the passage literally, and when it says he will rule for a thousand years, we mean that to be that he will rule for what? thousand years so so when people interpret it what we call spiritualize they're going to look at it totally different than we who take it literally the second thing is how they look at israel some people make a distinction that's us between israel and the church we say the nation of israel is israel and god made promises to israel that includes david and that when he made those promises those promises are true some people say they're not literal that the church has replaced Israel, that Israel was God's people, they rejected Jesus, so God's through with them, and now the church takes the place of Israel. It's called replacement theology, and a lot of people believe that. So when you start thinking about end times and about the kingdom and about the tribulation and all of those things, what you find is a whole bunch of people, if you, if you and let me just say it this way, if you take the Bible spiritually and you believe Israel and the church are the same, you're going to look at end times a whole lot differently than if you take the Bible literally and you believe Israel and the church are two different things. Now, let me tell you something. At our church, at Stillwater Bible, we take the Bible historically, literally, grammatically. We take the Bible. We understand figures of speech. When Jesus said, I'm the door of the sheepfold, we know that Jesus didn't mean he was a door. That's called a metaphor. When it says in Acts chapter 1, it was like a rushing mighty wind, that's a simile. We understand figures of speech, but we take the Bible literally, and when it says Jesus Christ will come to the earth and rule for a thousand years, we believe that he will come to the earth and rule for a thousand years. Okay, we take it literally. Second, we believe that the nation of Israel that God chose from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Judah to David to Daniel, all of that, we believe that God has a plan and a program for his people, and if you read 
read Romans 9, 10, and 11, there will come a time when Israel as a nation will believe in the Messiah and come back, okay? We believe God has a plan and program for Israel. We believe that the church, which is the body of Christ, made up of Jews and Gentiles, we believe God has a plan and program for the church, which is us. We are not the same. We do not replace Israel. We have not taken their promises and now saying, well, they're not literal promises because we don't take a literal land and those kind of things. So when we start talking about end times, you will find that many, let me say it this way. It's going to sound a little bad, but most denominations, most churches look at the Bible, especially prophetic passages, with a spiritualization, and they say Israel and the church are the same. Fewer people, a much smaller group, that's us, take the Bible as literal, and we make a distinction between Israel and the church. So a lot of people you deal with, when you start talking to them about end times and you talk about rapture and tribulation and antichrist and second coming, they're going to say to you, we don't believe any of that. We don't believe that's actually going to happen. And so you'll be going, really? Because you probably think everybody believes the same way we do. But you'll find that most people don't. That doesn't mean we're wrong. Because you have to go to the Scripture. What does it say? And if you go to Revelation chapter 20, and in seven times, in six verses, he says he will rule for a thousand years. I'm going to take it that he's going to rule for a thousand years, okay? Because it says it. It says it over and over again. So other people say, oh, it doesn't mean that. I'd say, how do you know that doesn't mean that? How do you know anywhere in the Scripture it doesn't mean what it says? Exactly. He said, after three days, I'll rise again. Is that literal? Did Jesus literally rise from the dead? There are some people who say, well, (laughs) actually, no. It's a spiritual resurrection. Uh, I think he has a body. I think he ate. I think they touched him. You know, so when you really get to it, it boils down to, are you going to look at the Scripture from a historical, literal, grammatical interpretation saying that whatever the Scripture says, it says, and we look at it that way, of course, understanding it in its context, or are we going to look at the Scripture and say, well, I just don't think that's, I mean, that's not real, and Jonah couldn't have been in a fish, and, and you know, uh, create the heavens and earth in six days, I just don't think so. I think that's symbolic. I think Jonah being in the fish was symbolic, uh, even though Jesus said, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so was the heart of the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Jesus thought Jonah was real. And so if Jesus thought Jonah was real, guess what? I think he's real, because whatever Jesus said, I'm with. I'm on his side every time. Okay, not the scholars. See, we're not scholars. We just believe the Bible, right? So let's talk about the kingdom, okay? When we say kingdom, we think about the time Jesus Christ will rule. There are three major views of the kingdom. Now, the final sheet that I have for you, that back sheet, you don't have to look at it right now because we're going to show it up here. I've given you the different views of the kingdom on that back sheet. But let's look up here first. There are three views that people talk about. There's what we call a premillennial view, a postmillennial view, and an amillennial view. That's what they're called, okay? The millennial means a thousand. So the first view is this, that Jesus Christ will come and say, Set up a kingdom and rule for a thousand years. That's called premillennial because he comes before the thousand years. In other words, he comes and sets up a thousand year reign. There's a view called postmillennial which says Jesus Christ will come after the kingdom. 
That sounds a little weird, doesn't it? But it's called post-millennial view. And there are some people that believe that there will be a kingdom on the earth. won't be a thousand years. It's not literally thousand. But there will be a time in which everything gets good. We rule the whole world. Then Jesus comes back. That has always sounds strange to me because I always want to say, how do you have a kingdom without a king? But anyway, that's a view. The third view is the one that most people take. It's called amillennial, and the word little a at the front means no. No millennial kingdom. There will be no actual kingdom. There will be no literal kingdom on the earth. In fact, they actually say something like this. We're in a kingdom now. It's just a spiritual one. Okay? Those are the three views, and I want you to know those so that as you talk to people, you will hear. Now, remember... Why do people take them that way? Because some people are going to take the Bible and say it's literal and Israel and, and the church are separate. Other people are going to take the Bible and they're going to say they're not literal and Israel has been replaced by the church. And when they do that, there's going to be different views. Let's start with the first one. It's called the post-millennial view. Now, what does it mean, post-millennial? It means after the kingdom. What does that mean? Who, what's after the kingdom? Jesus. Okay, so this belief is that Jesus Christ will come after the kingdom. That sounds weird to me. Does it sound weird to you? Okay, but there's people who believe that. And let me just tell you what, what started. It started. Here's the belief. And let, let's put the slide up. Here's what they believe. Jesus died for the sins and rose again. Okay? And Israel and the church are the same. So as we go into this time period, there will be a kingdom. This present age is actually the kingdom. And what's supposed to happen is that all of us Christians, we go out, we lead more and more people to Christ, and the Christians take over the world, and we rule the world, and we make the world a kingdom for God. And we do that for a period of time. There's no set time. Uh, it's not a thousand years. It's just a time. And after we get what we call the golden age of man on this earth, then Jesus comes back. And when he comes back, the rapture and second coming the same thing, so I just put it that way. He comes back, there's a general resurrection of all the unbelievers, and then a judgment, and you go into eternity. That's the post-millennial view. Now, where did it start? It started in the 1800s when things began to get better and better and we were inventing things and people were saying, what progress? The world is getting better and better and better and better. And, and about the turn of, of uh, getting into the 1900s, there was a lot of people were taking the post-millennial view saying things are going to get better and better. We're going to take over the world. Christians are going to lead everybody to Christ. We're going to rule the world. Then Jesus comes back. Then World War I happened. It was called what? The war to what? End all wars. And at the end of that, guess how many people were post-millennial? Not very many. And then you get into the 20s and the roaring 20s and everything started going good again. And they said, we're going to take over the world and rule. And then guess what happened? World War II. And after World War II, very few people were post-millennial. But what happened? In the, the late 80s and 90s and into this century... There were people who were saying that if we would just, they called theonomist, which means God's law. They said if we would just go back to the Mosaic law and take over, we could rule this world and we would have the millennium on earth. There are still people today who are post-millennial. Now, you may not remember this, but uh, my, God, my mind went blank. Who is the guy that was uh, ran for president with the... Not PTL, not, uh, what was it? Uh, what's his name? 
Pat Robertson, do you understand before he ran for president, he was post-millennial. If you ever watched his show, he thought we were going to make a kingdom. But when he ran for president, he changed to be premillennial. <laughs> and then after he didn't make it, he's back post-millennial. I think he was afraid to say he was post-millennial because a lot of people, most people aren't post-millennial, okay? So anyway, this is a guy, by his name is... Bettner, and he says this, The kingdom of God is being extended worldwide by the preaching of the gospel, the work of the Holy Spirit. The world will be Christianized, and then Christ will return after a long period of righteousness. It's called post-millennial view. Some, I don't know if I even put the passages. They use Psalm 2.8, Isaiah. Basically, two is he's ruling, and the, the world will be great. And so there's a view. Now, let me tell you something. Most people don't hold to this view, Okay? Let's hope, let's hope not, yeah. Now, the next view is the view that most people hold to. It's called amillennial view. They take passages. Now, amillennial view means what? No millennium. That means they believe there will never be a kingdom on this earth, a kingdom in which the Messiah rules. That means the promise to David, is that a literal promise or not? In their view, in their view. It's not literal. It, God didn't really mean it. God told David his son would rule on the throne, but he didn't mean really on the throne and really on the throne of Israel and really on this earth. He didn't mean that. So it wasn't a real promise in that way. It was a spiritual promise. And where Matthew, where Jesus said, the kingdom has come upon you, they say, okay, it's here. And where Jesus said, the kingdom is in your midst, he wasn't saying the actual kingdom was there. He was saying, I'm the king, I'm here, I'm offering myself to you as the king, and here's a good shot at it. But they rejected it. But these people believe he meant there really is a kingdom. So let me show you the view. And notice something, it's almost the same as the other view except this. Jesus died on the cross, paid for, uh, paid for sin. Israel and the church are the same. The kingdom is now fulfilled in heaven. There is never a kingdom on this earth. And here's what they would say. There is no literal kingdom. And if there is any kingdom at all, it's a spiritual kingdom, and it's going on right now. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you feel about this being the kingdom? It's not that great. Even if you say it's a spiritual kingdom, it's not that great. Now, what happens is people say that there will never be a literal kingdom. Now, let me just say this to you. Probably 80% of all Christians in the world hold to this view because 80% of all Christians do not hold to the Bible in a literal interpretation. Okay? So, this is the amillennial view and that, that there's no tribulation, of course, and the kingdom is being, it's not on this earth, and if it is on this earth, it's just spiritual. No such thing as a real kingdom. And Jesus, where is Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Well, he's ruling in the kingdom. That's what they would say. He's ruling now. Well, actually, the throne, who's sitting on the throne right now? The Father is, not Jesus. So they would say, uh, well, he is, but not, we'd say no. Anyway, this is a spiritual kingdom. And what's going to happen? The rapture and the second coming are the same event. Jesus is going to come. Believers are going to take off, come off the earth and come right back down to the earth. And I'm going to show you in a couple of weeks why the rapture and the second coming cannot be the same event. Cannot be the same event. And then there's a general uh, resurrection of all people and a judgment and you go into eternity. So there's no thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, have you noticed something? There are no what? In this view, there's no what? There's no tribulation. There's no antichrist. There's no seven-year tribulation. There's none of that because none of that is literal in their minds. 
If you've been in churches like ours that have taught forever that there's going to be a rapture and a, and a, and a tribulation and an antichrist and a second coming in the kingdom, most people don't believe that. And so they say, no, this, this is the way it is. Jesus died and rose again. Uh, Israel and the church are the same. We're fulfilling all the promises. They're just all spiritual. We're just going through life. There is no kingdom or it's a spiritual kingdom. The next event, Jesus comes. There'll be a judgment and we go into eternity. There's some people who teach. I might as well tell you the name. R.C. Sproul, he's the leading reform writer in the country. He says that, of course, Jesus died and rose again. There is no kingdom. We await the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is the rapture and second coming. Every human being will stand. This is what he says. Every human being will stand before the great white throne judgment. And here's what he says. If you've done good works, you go to heaven. If you've not done good works, you go to hell. Now, he goes on to say that... If you're a believer, you will automatically do good works. That's why good works get you to heaven. We don't agree with a lot of things that he says, but that's the view. So that's called the amillennial view. So a lot of people you might talk to someday, they're going to hold to that amillennial view. Now let's look at the third thing, and that's the pre-millennial view. Go to the slide right after it, and we'll come back to this. This is the view we showed you earlier. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin. Focus up to the cross is on Israel. Jesus dies and rose again. Church is not present. That's Old Testament. After Jesus dies and rose again, he ascends into heaven. Then the focus is on the church. Israel has been set aside. That's on Daniel chapter 9. We're in what we call the New Testament. The next event will be the rapture. After the rapture is the tribulation. Then there is the second coming of Christ. And he comes to set up a literal kingdom. It's a thousand year reign. Christ reigns as the king of the Jews and as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We are a part of that. Church participates in the kingdom. That's where Jesus said that many of you will come and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the Jews and the Gentiles coming together in the kingdom. There's some other things. There's a great white throne judgment in eternity. But go back to the verse before, uh, the slide before. Let's look at something. Turn to the to, uh, book of Revelation. I just want you to see it in the Scripture. Now, the reason we didn't use verses on those others, there aren't any verses for the others, okay? That's the problem with them, okay? Yeah, there's a clue when you say, let me go to the passages to show you. Revelation 20, look at verses 1 through 7. I saw an angel come down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand, and he took hold of the dragon, which is the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and he bound him for how long? Oh, oh, that's not a thousand years. That doesn't mean a thousand, right? Or does it mean a thousand? It means a thousand. Okay, now notice. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. Gee, what does a throne sound like a kingdom? I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God, those who had not worshipped the beast or his image. They had not received the mark on the forehead and on their hand, and they came to life. And what did they do with Christ? They reigned with him for how long? thousand years. The rest of the dead didn't come back to life until the thousand years was completed. This is all called the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the what? First resurrection over these second death has no power. They will be priests of God. This is talking about us and Christ and will reign with him for what? Thousand years. Look how chapter verse 7 says, and then when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. Now, if there is no thousand-year reign, he says it so many times, you have to want to say to him, why did you keep saying thousand years if there isn't a thousand-year reign of Christ? Now, I want you to look at Revelation 19. 
Look at verse 11. By the way, this is in order. So Revelation 19 comes before Revelation 20 as far as events. This is Jesus coming to the earth to be the king. Revelation 19:11. I saw the heavens open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. And it goes on and talks about him. Verse 13, his clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is the word of God. Look at verse 16 and his robe and on his thigh has a name written king of kings and lord of lords. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword that he may strike down the nations. What will he do? He will rule them with a rod of iron. Now when he's going to rule them when he sets up the kingdom and rules for how long thousand years so we take the bible literally i want you to turn to matthew 24 okay let me just look at time well we got just we got a little bit longer matthew 24 Look at verse 29. Now, who is speaking in Matthew 24 and 25? Does anybody know? It's Jesus. Now, if you if you got a red-letter Bible, you know it's Jesus automatically because it's written in red. Okay? Now, listen to what Jesus says because he's been talking about this thing called the tribulation. Jesus is talking about the tribulation. And watch what he says in verse 29. But immediately after the tribulation. Now, the two other views I showed you, where's the tribulation? There isn't one. That Jesus said there's one. Now, who are you going to follow? Jesus or somebody else, right? Jesus said there's a tribulation. Look what he says. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky. The powers of heaven will be shaken. This is Jesus coming the second time. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. All the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with the power, with the, of the sky with power and great glory. And he's going to send forth his angels with a great trumpet. They will gather together the elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. What's he coming for to judge and to rule he's going to be the king he's coming as the king look at chapter 25 look at verse 31 this is pretty clear right here look what it says but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him what will he do he will sit on his glorious throne no no, no there's no kingdom there's no real kingdom. So when is Jesus going to come sit on his glorious throne if there's no kingdom? Look what he says. All the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So how do we interpret the scripture? We interpret it literally. We make the distinction between Israel and the church. We believe, and if you go to the next slide, uh, the other one. Yeah, we believe that there will be a time in which Jesus Christ, Revelation 19.11, is the second coming where he comes as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. His name is the Word of God. He comes to rule the nations. He comes as the King of kings. We believe that the book of Revelation chapter 20 talks about a thousand-year reign of Christ, and he will rule on this earth for a thousand years. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to give you more details in another lesson about what happens at the end of the kingdom and about the great white throne judgment and all of those things. But this lesson is primarily we're going to show you the kingdom to show you the different views because when we say we're going to study end times you know i could go over this chart one time and that's the whole study right we could but i want you to understand the different views and how things fit together so there is a post-millennial view that believes what 
there's going to be a, a, a time of greatness on the earth, then Jesus comes. There's an amillennial view that view, believes what? There is no kingdom ever, not literally. Then there is the premillennial view that believes Jesus Christ comes to the earth and rules for thousand years. If you take the Bible spiritually and you make Israel and the church the same, you will either be post-millennial or amillennial. Most people are amillennial. If you take the Bible literally and believe the church and Israel are distinct, you will always be pre-millennial. You have to be. Because the promises to Israel are to Israel. Is David, was he the king of Israel? Was he promised that his son would sit on the throne of Israel forever? Okay, is that a literal promise? If you take it literally and you make Israel different than the church, you're going to have to have that view. That's powerful. Now, let me show you something. Next time, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the tribulation. There is a view called pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, post-tribulation. Pre-tribulation, let me look at the time. It's actually up, but let me remind you of this. Pre-tribulation means that the church will be taken out before the tribulation. Mid-tribulation believes that the church will be taken out about middle way through the tribulation. Post-tribulation believes that the church will go all the way through the tribulation. Now, if you remember the chart, if you'll go back to the chart, We believe the church is taken out when? Before. We hold to what's called a pre-tribulation view. We're going to understand the views, and I'm going to begin to show you why we believe that the church will not go through the tribulation. There are people who believe in a literal kingdom and a tribulation, but they believe the church will go through the tribulation. That means they believe that one day, uh, while we're on this earth, The Antichrist will come to power. It'll be the worst time in the world. People will be killed everywhere. People are going to have to take the mark of the beast. They're going to run for their lives. There are people who believe we will be in that. We believe that Jesus Christ will come in the clouds and take us out before the tribulation. Now, which one do you want to be true? Okay. (laughs) We'll see how it fits together, but that's next time. Let me give you a couple of quick applications, okay? Here they are. Gain an understanding in time events. Begin to put it together. And we've, we've had the big overview, and now we've just had the views of the kingdoms. If you just remember the three things, post-millennial, amillennial, and premillennial, you already got the kingdoms. You got that. Okay? Put that together. Then the second thing is understand the different views of the kingdom. That's where we are. That's what we studied today. By the time we're through, hopefully you'll say, I know the different views of the kingdom. I know the different views of the tribulation. I know how the end times fit. I know the terms. And I know why I should stand strong as I await Jesus Christ. So that's the plan.